Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto being joined by my co-host, David Blackman. In today's show, we have caught up with David Jenkins, who is Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship. But before we bring David on the show, David Jenkins, I'd like to tell you about some upcoming events and the latest issue of Show Magazine, which we just released. The cover for this issue is Moda Midstream. This is one of the largest midstream companies that uh, exist in North America. And Shell Magazine was able to catch up with them. Uh, turns out there are three CEOs, and it's a very, very dynamic and interesting company. You definitely want to check out their article. Simply go to shalemag.com, and that's spelled S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com, and sign up for the newsletter in which you'll get a free digital issue of the latest subscription of Shell Magazine. And hey, put this on your calendar on June 24th is the Teak Texas Energy Advocates Coalition Mixer in San Antonio at the beautiful Fogo de Chao on the Riverwalk. It's an event that you don't want to miss because it's actually inviting all streams up, mid, and down. They'll have great door prizes, which will also include an Odyssey putter that will be given away at the event. Get your tickets now as this will be a sold-out event, and you can go to Shell Magazine or in the Oil Patch Radio Show and sign up. Click on the link. It'll take you straight so you can purchase. It'll take you straight to the website so you can purchase your tickets before they're sold out. And I'd also like to encourage you to join us uh, in the Oil Patch as we visit Shrimpery this year. They're on their 73rd year of holding Shrimpery. It's from uh, it's on June 11th through the 13th. Tickets are on sale now. For more information, go to shellmag.com and click on their banner ad. Among many musicians that will be playing for those three days, one of them is one of our favorites, Kevin Fowler. So be sure to join us at the Shrimpery this year that happens June 11th through the 13th. Get your tickets now. Um, and again, we'll see you at the Shrimpery. And now it's time for me to welcome on my co-host, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. Well, David, I want to discuss Goldman Sachs. Um, they, uh, we did produce an energy minute discussing exactly this topic, which is investors. Yep. Uh, in a memo this week, expect that oil prices will reach as high as $80, $80 per barrel by late summer. So as Americans take to the streets uh, or roads for their vacation, what does this mean for the pumps, you know, gas prices? Yeah. Obviously, we're going to see an increase, but to how much? Yeah, um, so, you know, right now, the average price for a gallon of regular gas um, is about $3 a gallon. That's up from $2.21 last election day, so almost 80 cents higher now. And and that's with uh, the oil price sitting at around uh, $68. They're talking about the Brent price, the international price. So at $68, that's basically... Goldman is projecting an increase of 15 to 20% in the crude price. And given the gasoline prices in America tend to follow oil prices, uh, yes, we can expect higher gasoline prices this summer. Um, I don't think it'll be 15 to 20% higher. It's not exactly a linear 
uh, equation. But you know, if we're sitting at three dollars today, and and price of oil goes up to eighty by August, then I think we should expect the price of gasoline, regular gas, to be three and a quarter, three dollars and thirty cents in August. And um, unfortunately, there's not really anything we can do about that uh, with the current administration in place and uh, the dynamics in the global markets as a result. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's a shame because I know that this is going to cut into where people are allowed to travel due to gas prices, or not allowed, but where they're going to be able to buy their, allowed by their finances, right. where they're able to go, and are probably going to be limited because of the prices going up. Let's talk about um, the national rig count, too, by Intervis and Baker Hughes. It seems to have leveled off this past month after mm-hmm. basically doubling since September. Um, so what kind of signal does this send related to what might be happening in the industry now uh, we have seen an uptick, but it, you know, is that the new yeah. norm? Well, I think it, it's it's a good sign, frankly, uh, for the industry. It's a very healthy sign that this rig count increase is now leveled off. Um, we're still uh, just a little more than half of what we were last January, mm-hmm. um, but that's good. We don't want 11, 1200 rigs running in drilling wells right now. Because what's always happened to this industry in the past, when we get into a boom like we're in now, uh, the industry activates hundreds of new drilling rigs and overfloods the market with U.S. crude oil and the price falls as a result. So I've been thinking and I've been, you know, we've been talking about this since January here on our show, that this time the industry is going to exercise a little discipline and here here we are. This mm-hmm. is discipline over the last month. They've, they've gotten you know, to a point where they're drilling a healthy enough number of wells to slowly increase uh, crude oil supply here in the U.S., but they're also refraining from just overdoing it like they always have done in the past, and I think that's a very healthy sign, and I think we should expect this to continue for the rest of the year. I think, you know, the rig count will go up between now and the end of the year, but, you know, maybe by another 100 rigs or so not buy four or 500 rigs like it would have in the past and that's it's a healthy sign it's a sign of a healthy industry very good well you know that was a discussion sometime back was this was insanity that as soon as you know yeah. <laughs> would, would would cut you know here we go yeah here we go and we would drill ourselves back into a hole and it reminds me of our good friend harold ham who had this discussion many times telling and warning the industry, you have to show restraint or this is never going to end. And it's been like, through it many times. Yeah, that's right. looks like we've arrived. Let's talk about the colonial pipeline because now it's back online and now it has a, you know, this has the situation with the oil and gas supply chain that it was, you know, basically servicing 17 different States. Right. That was a problem for them. What's happened. Give us an update. Now is everything calmed down? Pretty much, uh, you know, it's pretty much back to normal. I think uh, for those states, there's still apparently some pockets of uh, some isolated areas in in states like North Carolina and South Carolina that are really heavily dependent on Colonial for the gas supply where you're still having some isolated shortages and in Washington, DC, uh, which is no surprise. but, but overall, by and large, it's the, the situation's back to normal. It's always going to take, you know, a few weeks for everything for the distribution system to, to fully clear out all of the, all of the, the shortages and, and issues. But uh, yeah, and, and so that's good for those states. Prices have, have 
you know, there, there was a maybe a 20 cent a gallon jump in prices in those states on average, and uh, that's come back down as well. So, um, you know, it was a, a terrible event while it was going on. It just reminds everyone, I think, of how critical pipelines are to our country and its economy. And, uh, and, and luckily, it didn't last more than the week that it lasted. Well, you know, something that I think the industry um, needed to see, and, and as much as I didn't like what happened, and it is very, uh, should be very alarming to us, it also gave an opportunity for the energy industry to see where they lacked with so much technology and them outsourcing it and giving access to third-party vendors and, um, and the vulnerabilities, if you will, of what they deal with. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this for years, that it wasn't just ransomware that they potentially could be looking at, but also terroristic type of, right. you know, whether it's cyber or, you know, physical attacks. Even and, physical attacks, yeah. Yeah. And so, that you know, this industry pipeline needed to really take it seriously. And so, you know, I, I guess I'm saying while money can be replaced, if there was anything that needed to uh, strengthen the energy industry's um viewpoint of how they're going to move forward with this these new concerns i'm glad it happened with ransomware and not something that could have been far worse yes at least no one lost their lives in this yes exactly but it is just a normal thing that you know most people don't realize all the things that that oil and gas the industry as a whole has to do you know to survive and to manage and yet you know everybody takes advantage of it every day you know rather they're driving their car putting gasoline wearing clothes eating food, drinking clean water, and yet they're always under attack. These kind of things, plus the anti-oil and gas, plus regulation, plus the government, plus the Paris Climate Accord, <laughs> the list right. on and on and on and on, and then oil prices drop out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Uh, it Really, there's right. a lot that they deal with. On any given day, there's a hundred different things that could go wrong. Right, yet- there are. And, and, you know, the other lesson I think that, that everybody, you know, learned again in a very difficult way uh, is that you don't realize how valuable something is. It's like you said, we, we tend to take all this for granted. Oh, Gasoline yeah. supply and all the other things. I mean, well, everything. Like food and water. Yeah, right, basically. yeah. And so you, you, don't, you don't really appreciate it. Yeah, yes, exactly. Like the February interruption, mm-hmm. you know, in, in electricity supply and, and then water supplies as a result of the blackouts. Yep. You know, all of that, you don't appreciate how fragile it all is until you're missing it. Then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, people panic. People, uh, when COVID hit last year, started hoarding toilet paper and you know <laughs> stuff like that. And and, then and gas colonial, lines. Remember, they, we had yeah. gas lines because right. people thought we were going to run out of gas. And right, we hoarding gasoline. Uh, you know, so it's just it's it's um, a reminder how even though we enjoy such you know relative stability compared to most countries in the world. Life in the United States is still fragile when things go wrong, and yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. it's hard all to appreciate over. until you're missing it. Yeah, and it, and it happens all over the world, too. Everybody's vulnerable. So what I don't want is for our email box to be flooded with <laughs> complaints on it. I think we can both admit that we both are environmentalists, too. We care about the planet and that it you know lives on, and we should try to do more with less. I'm all for that, but if you were here in Texas, or if you've been somewhere and you've had to endure maybe through a hurricane or something, a lack of energy and resources and clean water and all these services and even wearing clothes, you know, this does matter to you and you should be concerned. So you just can't be totally 
shut everything down and keep it in the ground in anti-fossil fuels unless you're ready, ready to be naked. Uh, and live and, like a caveman. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and with that, David, we have to take a break. And with that, David, uh, on our next segment, we're going to be covering the Biden administration and what they are doing in the way of energy and more global issues pertaining to the oil and gas sector. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Now it's time to welcome our special guest for today, David Jenkins, who is the president of CRS, the Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship, uh, a, a Washington, D.C.-based group that, that fights for common sense stewardship of our public, public lands from a conservative perspective, which is, uh, you know, almost unique uh, in that space out there. David, how are you doing today? Uh, great. Thank you for having me. David, uh, just... Uh, before we get into questions and answers, just uh, give us a little background on yourself and 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 on your organization. Uh, yeah, well, <clears throat> me personally, uh, you know, I've been a I'm been a conservative all my life. I grew up in North Carolina, um, worked for Senator Pete Domenici uh, up on the hill for many years, uh, uh, campaigned for uh, Republican candidates uh, from for almost forever, Reagan. Uh, Strom Thurmond, uh, uh, Bob Dole, John McCain. I mean, you just go over up yeah. to Bush. Um, so, um, so yeah, I've been in that space uh, most, of, most of my career. I've uh, also been in the uh, outdoor recreation space uh, some and, and the conservation space as, as I am now. Uh, and the organization um, is pretty much what the name says. We're conservatives who uh, care about stewardship and conservation. We have about 20,000 members nationwide. Um, so, um, so, yeah, and we... we uh, we come at this from a little different angle, but we think it represents true conservatism. Well, and we should point out that your website address for those who want to uh, visit your website is conservativestewards.org. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's a good, strong web, website with a lot of really useful information out there. I wanted to, to mention, I, I was in government relations for a long time in the oil and gas industry, and I may have met you when you were working mm -hmm. for Senator Domenici. Yeah, I was powerful. with a, a company mm -hmm. called Burlington Resources that was mm -hmm. a you know the biggest producer in New Mexico for about a decade in the late 90s to early few years of this century and we did a lot of work with Senator Domenici's office wonderful okay. wonderful man we were yes he was and we were uh, we were actually this organization was actually based in New Mexico for many years yeah <clears throat> yeah well he was, he was such a special guy and just a, one of the great senators you know uh, back in in the days when republicans and democrats had a lot of comedy and uh, did a lot of work together on issues and uh, had, uh, had a lot of bar bipartisanship kind of efforts going on uh, in the interior department and and uh, other parts of the government and i, yeah. I miss those days yeah it was a different era i remember um 
Jesse Hems and Ted Kennedy used to go out to dinner together every night. So you, know, you couldn't yeah. get two, two more uh, <laughs> opposite ends of the political spectrum, but they enjoyed each other's company. Yeah, they did. They did. Uh, those are great old stories. We don't have much of that anymore. Um, well, I, I wanted to do this interview with you guys because I, I really, I think it's important. I think your mission is important. The kind of work you guys do, uh, your organization does, and the kind of advocacy you do is important because for the same reasons, uh, because we don't have a lot of conservatives in the political space thinking about these stewardship issues uh, in our public lands and our national parks and, and things like Anmar. And I wanted to, to you know, kind of focus on some of the things that your group has worked on uh, over the years. I know, for example, um, you know, one of the, the things you list as your achievement is, is fighting, for example, for the pres preservation of the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge and uh, mm -hmm. to try to prevent uh, oil and gas exploration there in the refuge. You've got, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that and the reasons behind why y'all think that's the conservative position to take there. Yes, well, <clears throat> definitely. Uh, first of all, if you go back in history, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll understand that um, uh, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge was actually part of the deal to allow drilling at Prudhoe Bay with yes. the, the Eisenhower administration. So the notion was that, uh, okay, we'll let the National Petroleum Reserves be available for oil and gas drilling, we'll let Prudhoe Bay be available for oil and gas drilling, this little tiny section over here on, um, you know, to the east, uh, we'll protect that for conservation, wildlife conservation, and protect the caribou herds and the polar bears and all that stuff. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, you know, that, that's what we considered balance back then. Um, and everybody agreed to it until uh, someone thought there might be oil there. And then they like, oh, well, let's drill here too. And <clears throat> uh, the coastal plain, which is the part that's, um, uh, often debated about where the oil drilling would occur, it represents just 5% of the North Slope. Right. So, so I'm, it's kind of hard for me to figure that, uh, so if you've got 95% of the North Slope, um, you can't even just, you know, agree to conserve and preserve that, that last 5% <laughs> for, for other purposes. Um, it sounds kind of crazy, but, but even more from, from a Christian um, perspective, <clears throat> if you look at, um, that uh, coastal plain of the refuge, it, it's really <clears throat> America's cradle of life is what I like to call it because birds fly there from all over the planet. They fly thousands, thousands, there's a bird in Africa, uh, wheat deer, I think it's called. It flies every single summer to the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to lay its eggs and then hatch them, raise them, and then flies all the way back to Africa. It can pick anywhere else on the planet. But for some reason, that little bird is hardwired to go to the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge coastal plain to lay its eggs. Right. Um, now, you know, if you, if you believe in, you know, God created the heavens and earth and all that stuff and it's his design, then you're like, well, you know, <laughs> uh, there's got to be a reason there. You know, there's got to be uh, something behind uh, this, all this wildlife being hardwired to go to this one place uh, and why it's such a special place for them to give birth and uh, um, propagate their species. So, right. so when yeah. you consider that and you consider the 95%, 5%, um, it just, to me, it just, you know, there's plenty of places to drill for oil. Um, and, and if you look at it from an economic standpoint, 
<clears throat> I think for oil to be uh, economical in the uh, Arctic Refuge, if you hey, drill Hey, David, I'm, uh, I'm going to have to break in. We're, we're up against a hard break, but we'll take that up when we come back from the break. Uh, you're listening okay. to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kim Bilotto, wanting to talk to you about how to age gracefully. As a woman, my appearance is important to me. It makes me feel good about myself when I feel I'm taking care of myself. And I have been visiting a woman for many years who has helped me with my wrinkles, my skin's elasticity. And you know, a lot of people think it's really just involving women, but it's not. Many, many men also seek treatments as they see the aging process occurring. I visit Cynthia, my friend of many years, who is a master injector for San Antonio Cosmetic Surgery. I feel very comfortable going to her and allowing her to just do her work on me. Pick up the phone, call Cynthia, make an appointment, and see what she can do for you because it has taken years off of me. So if you want a free consultation with Cynthia, give them a call at 210-641-4320. Again, the number is 210-614-4320. Or you can visit their website at sanantoniocosmeticsurgery.net. Be sure to tell them that Kim within the Oil Patch Radio Show sent you. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm David Blackman with our special guest today, David Jenkins, who's the president of CRS, Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship an advocacy group based in Washington, D.C. David, we were before the break, and I'm sorry we had to cut in like that. Uh, we mm -hmm. were talking about Anwar and what a special place it is. And I, and I totally agree with you. I, I uh, have been up there in that part of the world and, and several times, and, and it really is an amazing, amazing place. And even though the oil industry, when it you know, goes in and, and does these things, has a fairly small footprint, uh, I, I've always agreed with that principle. And when you look at the history of, of how ANWR was set aside to begin with during the Eisenhower years, it was an agreement with the industry that we'd open up Prudhoe Bay on the North Slope, but preserve this section over here as a wildlife refuge. So I thought, you know, I think your advocacy obviously must have been successful because when the Trump administration towards the end there put leases up for bid. I don't believe anyone bid on those leases, correct, in Anwar? Yeah, I think that's because of the economics of it yeah. as much as anything, because um, when, um, you know, I think oil has to be selling at around $85 a barrel for uh, oil production up there in that remote, uh, very harsh area <clears throat> to be uh, uh, economically uh, feasible. And so, Right now, we're, you know, oil is definitely a lot lower than that, and we're, nobody thinks we're going to approach um, $85 a barrel oil anytime in the near future, or maybe, maybe never, given what's happening with the transportation sector and everything. So, yeah, um, so yeah I, hopefully the market dynamics uh, uh, protect that area, because uh, it, it's certainly a place worth protecting. Yeah, and I think, you know, companies, too, when you look at the experience here in, in the last decade or so, I was at Shell for a little while, about 15 years ago, and, and it was during the time uh, they were trying to uh, drill wells off the North Slope uh, to the to where Anwar is, not, not above Anwar. Mm -hmm. um, but the litigation and the challenges in the courts and just through the administrative process and the, the public relations uh, nightmare that you face in trying to operate up there 
these days. Uh, I think also probably had a and an impact on companies, you know, not really wanting to take that on when there are so many other opportunities uh, for for exploration in the United States and really, frankly, even just in Alaska. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that probably had an impact as well. Do you agree? Uh, yes, definitely. And, uh, you know, this has been a bipartisan thing over the years as well. Uh, I worked on this issue back in 2006 when uh, we had 30 Republicans in the House that locked arms and said that they would uh, vote against the uh, Republican budget if uh, drilling in uh, the Arctic Refuge was included in it. So, so this has, you know, uh, people from both sides of the aisle and uh, uh, have uh, understood that uh, this is a place worth protecting. And uh, I think that's the smart move here. Yeah, and as I read your group's philosophy, it really got, it kind of goes all the way back to the Teddy Roosevelt years, right? And the concept of multiple use on public lands and, and stewardship of, of, of the environment and, and the remote areas of the United States. Uh, President Roosevelt, of course, is famous for doing so much, uh, creating so many national monuments and, and designating so many national parks while he was president. And, and really, isn't that philosophically kind of the origins of, of your group? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, you know, Roosevelt, um, he uh, created the National Forest System. He created the National Wildlife Refuge System. He protected iconic American landscapes like the Grand Canyon. Um, <clears throat> he did a lot of things like that. And um, he did it because, I mean, people called Teddy Roosevelt a progressive because he ran on a progressive party when he, he lost the primary. Um, but he's actually, he was very traditionally conservative. He was a big fan of Edmund Burke, who's the father yeah. of modern conservatism. And um, he did these things because he understood that um, we have to look down, look to the future and think about what's best for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Well, I hate to do it, but it uh, looks like we're going to uh, up against another hard break. But, uh, you know, I just wanted you to know that I share that philosophically as well. Huge, uh, huge student of Teddy Roosevelt's uh, time mm -hmm. as a president and all of his trust busting efforts uh, in addition to his uh, uh, stewardship of the environment. Uh, you're listening to Into All Patch Radio Show and uh, we're going to take this break and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Welcome back to Indy All Patch Radio Show. I'm David Blackman with our special guest today, David Jenkins, the president of CRS. David, um, so let's let's talk about the recent position you you and your group took uh, up in Wyoming, uh, endorsing the the Biden administration's moratorium on 
public lands, uh, leasing on federal lands, excuse me, not public lands, but, but on federal lands for oil and gas. This is a moratorium the president first announced, uh, I believe on his first day in office, and then uh, the interior secretary extended it uh, until later this year. And I want to give you a chance to, you know, I know that's been a controversial position with the industry up there. Mm -hmm. And I uh, wanted to give you a chance to explain why your group is in favor of that particular policy. Uh, yeah, and it's, uh, they refer to it as a pause, a temporary pause, um, uh, to try to review the, the leasing system and um, uh, see if there can be some reforms instituted. And the reason we think that's prudent, and, you know, prudent and conservative are kind of hand in hand. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the uh, taxpayers have not really been getting uh, a fair deal on the oil and gas leasing activity that's occurred over the past uh, four years and beyond. Um, you know, the, the minimum bid rate is uh, two bucks an acre. Um, uh, the, yeah, it uh, used to be a dollar an acre. I remember back yeah, in the uh, yeah, 70s and 80s. But, uh, uh, and then like the royalty rate on, um, on the federal lands is uh, significantly less than the royalty rate on offshore, which uh, doesn't make a lot of sense to us because it's 12.5% uh, anywhere onshore in the West and it's 18.75% uh, for offshore. Heck, right. uh, uh, Texas Texas charges, I think, 25% um, for- Yeah, on, uh, new, on new state leases, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. of course, 25% has become also a very common fee royalty, you know, on private lands as well, mm -hmm. uh, royalty rate. Yeah. So. So, you know, taxpayers are not getting a great deal from this. And there's other things like orphan wells where taxpayers get left holding the bag. And um, we just think it's it's a good idea. I mean, you know, the industry has stockpiled so many leases right now. Um, and um, even the, the head of Devon Energy and uh, uh, principal at Occidental Petroleum said that, you know, they're not worried about the pause because they got more than enough leases to keep them occupied for the next four years, <laughs> much less, right. a, much less yeah. a six month pause. And so the people that go out and start saying, well, this six month pause is gonna make us more reliant on foreign oil or it's gonna uh, hurt the industry or something. I mean, they're just making stuff up because it, it can't, because it doesn't affect any existing drilling activity. It doesn't affect them going out and developing leases they already have stockpiled. So it's, you know, if there was any kind of impact to be felt from something like this, but Paul's would have to be a heck of a lot longer than it's uh, been proposed for. And, um, right. But don't you, don't you think really the intention of the Biden administration is really to continue this throughout its four years? Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I know that there's pressure on them to, to do stuff like that. Um, I think if you have a balanced policy of oil and gas leasing, then oil and gas leasing can occur on federal lands and, and taxpayers can get a fair return and we can protect the areas that need protecting and uh, still allow some of this. That's, um, uh, certainly uh, possible, but we got to reform the system first. We, um, Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, and um, Jackie Rosen, Democrat from Nevada, they've introduced legislation um, in the uh, Senate that would um, would give taxpayers a much fairer deal on this. That would raise that royalty rate to 18.75 percent, and it would uh, raise the uh, minimum bid to from $2 an acre to $10 an acre, and in a number of other things. There's a orphan well legislation up there that could help uh, make sure that we don't, uh, the taxpayers are not footing, footing that bill as well, that the companies that pledge to clean up after themselves, they actually do it. Um, so- have, Doesn't the state have an orphan well uh, program already? 
Well, yes, with federal and state orphan well programs yeah. where, yeah. Uh, well, you know, our taxpayer money goes and helps clean these things up. But the issue is uh, how much the bonding is for the companies to make sure that, that they're providing right. the money there to do the cleanup after the fact. Because, you know, some of them, they'll, uh, they'll declare bankruptcy and get out from under all their obligations. And, um, you know, maybe they're, they're truly bankrupt or maybe they just pop up as another entity, uh, you know, <laughs> in a couple yeah. of months, uh, just to avoid those kind of obligations. So we certainly need to guard against that. And, and, you know, we've, we've accumulated a, a mountain of debt over the past, um, well, for a long time, but yes, we certainly have, <laughs> especially, uh, the, the last four years and the, and this current year, um, uh, under both the, the last, the, these two administrations and, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars. And so if, when we do commodity things with our public resources, if we're not getting a fair return, then what that means is that that burden of climbing out of this mountain of debt is going to fall more and more on the shoulders of individual taxpayers. Sure. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, I, I think that I, my concern with this policy is, number one, I don't trust anyone in the Biden administration <laughs> to be acting in good faith. Uh, number two, if it, if it does go four years, uh, the state of Wyoming benefits to the tune of almost a billion dollars a year from the federal royalty program that, that from wells drilled in their state and production in their state. Mm -hmm. And that's a big piece of the, of the state budget. And you end up going by on four years. Yes, companies, some companies like, and, and you mentioned two of them, did go about stockpiling leases and, and drilling permits uh, before the, the, the president was, was inaugurated. Uh, in anticipation of this policy, but if you go beyond four years or just the full four years, I think you start to run out of those opportunities to continue developing uh, on those federal lands. And and I, I totally, I just want you to understand, I, and I have advocated for this throughout my career in the industry. Uh, I, I do believe the, the industry, and it, and it has improved greatly in its stewardship over the last 20, 30 years of, of those federal lands. But it has to be, you know, more conscious, I think, when it's drilling in these sensitive areas than it has mm -hmm. been in the past. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, in principle, I agree with a lot of things. I, I do have concerns about that moratorium. Um, and I want to give you the last word here. We've got about 30 seconds. Okay, yeah, I would just say that, uh, you know, if we can reform this system and get uh, uh, better royalty rates paid and better leasing rates paid, then actually Wyoming would benefit from from that as well because the, the revenue is split with the state. But but more importantly, states like Wyoming really have to look at where the transportation sector is going and and what the where the pressure is on gas uh, oil, ga oil and gas prices uh, down the road because yeah. uh, uh, if this trend goes the way it keeps hey, going. Hey, listen, I'm afraid we're up at a, at, a, at a break now. Thank you. Thank you for your time, David. And uh, you're listening to the All Patch Radio Show. And we'll be right back. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. If you'd like more information, go to womensenergynetwork.org slash South Texas 
or call 855-390-0650. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. You know, David, I know that you were able to catch up with David Jenkins, uh, who is with Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship. And, you know, it's an important topic. So I'm glad that we were able to catch up with him. And he certainly had a lot of interesting things to say, which, you know, he certainly did. Yeah. And so I'm glad we were able to catch up with him. But I want, with the limited time we have, we've got a lot of topics to touch on. Let's talk about the global issues that are, uh, you know, a new report came out from the International Energy Agency on the supply issue related to critical materials that are used um, in the form of renewable energy. And, um, you know, I don't think that people really understand um, this whole topic of these minerals, Um, but are are we headed uh, towards a train wreck with these uh, rare and minerals that aren't, you know, they're, they're critical, but yet they're uh, not really found here in the United States. Talk, get, get us up to speed on what's the deal with these critical minerals. Yeah, well, so, you know, and, and it is a, a topic people don't think about a lot because no one in the news media wants to talk about it. Because I think everyone in renewables industries realizes there is a problem. Yeah. Uh, if we're going to electrify the entire economy and you know, completely get off of oil and gas, you know, in the next 10 to 20 years, um, you're going to have to have massive increases. I mean, enormous increases in the supplies of all of these minerals like lithium and antimony and uh, cobalt and tungsten, all of these things, all of these minerals that are produced mainly in China and Africa. Uh, whose supply chains are controlled almost entirely by China. Uh, And we're going to have to, just in lithium alone, uh, I interviewed the CEO from a lithium company a couple of weeks ago, and he informed me that right now the United States produces 5,000 tons a year of lithium, a whole year. And our current needs for lithium just in the United States or 100,000 tons a year. And that's anticipated to grow to 700,000 tons a year uh, by 2030, just in nine years. Now think about that. That's, that's 160 times our current production in the United States in just nine years. Um, this is a, a growing, a looming crisis for the United States. Mm-hmm. And no one wants to talk about it because we're just too busy virtue signaling about the need to get off oil and gas and go to wind and solar and electric vehicles and pretend that those industries don't also have supply issues that they have to somehow resolve. Right. And, they're, and they're massive issues. And the entire supply chain is controlled by other companies. So I you know, I, I just, there's a, a train wreck coming, a reckoning on, on these minerals coming sometime kind of, in the next decade. Well, you know, it kind of reminds me of COVID virus and how we learned very quickly 
uh, President Trump announced it, that China holds all the vaccines and the mask and gloves, and we had a problem with that. And now when we talk about these renewables and these critical minerals, I don't think, you know, just to clarify it for, for all of us, you know, cobalt is what's necessary to build your, you know, batteries for these electric vehicles, right? And you're talking sure, about- Sure, lithium too, yeah. Yeah, and, and then you have, you know, they need, these rare minerals are needed for the solar panels, uh, wind turbines, and if they are critical materials that they need in the renewable space, and yet we know that you're going to have a problem getting them in the future, the demand is on the rise, you're doggone right, we're getting ready to hit a train wreck. As it seems like the Biden administration, I want to get to that, seems to be pretty much hell-bent on, uh, we are going to move in this direction, and everybody mm-hmm. seems getting on board. So, you know, here we come looking at that brick wall. It's getting faster and faster. The train wreck is approaching. So let's talk about the Biden administration. Now that we've talked about this, what is the biggest question for of America that we're facing under this administration and this path that yeah. we seem to be on? Well, and so the biggest question, in my view, in the view of, of actually, I've interviewed three different CEOs of three different mineral companies here in the United States over the last month. And, and the biggest problem facing the country is, or the biggest question facing the country, is are we going to be allowed by the Biden administration and the environmentalist groups that basically control the administration to produce our own resources of these minerals here in the United States? Um, and, and unfortunately, just this past week, the Biden administration uh, in an article, you know, that two members of the administration leaked to Reuters this past week, mm-hmm. uh, made it known that they're going to focus on ensuring that we continue to get virtually all of our supplies of these minerals from international sources. And they say, well, we're going to get them from allied countries like Australia, which produces a lot of lithium, Brazil, Canada, which produce, you know, some of the other minerals. But here's the thing. Yes, those countries, those allied countries produce the minerals, but the supply chain all goes through China. China processes almost all of the quantities of lithium and cobalt and and, and some of these other minerals. They're in China in this dark world that no press is ever allowed into. Even, you know, of course, most of the press wouldn't even want to in our country. And because China does all these things, they're they're just you know, engaging in practices that we would never allow here in the United States. Rumors of slave labor and, you know, yeah. just Child pillaging labor. the earth. Four-year-olds, four-year-olds right. in the mines mining all over these countries. Exactly. And so even though the Biden administration says, well, we're going to get our supplies of these minerals from allied countries, we all have to know that the supply chains for those minerals are still controlled by China. They're all processed in China. And leaving our country almost entirely reliant on a China-controlled supply chain for these minerals seems an awful risky proposition given what's going on between our country and China. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a real issue that we're, we're going to want to cover a lot, I think, in the, in the years to come here at, on our radio show. And, you know, it, it, it's not just a train wreck that we're heading for in the way of probably not having enough access to these vital resources if we're going to need them, if we're going to go to this 
renewable energy push that's going to be, you know, dominant and net zero and all these things are talking about these, you know, wonderful pie in the sky things. They sound great. But doesn't it also a matter, in your opinion, of national security? Because we, we witnessed China being really good partners to the, the West when this COVID virus hit and their lack of transparency, their lack of uh, pushing, yep. they had all of uh, the, um, you know, we found out then that they were producing all of our, you know, penicillin here in the United States. They had the gloves, the masks, and uh, we waited and people died. So we better think and think quickly about how reliant we want to be on China. That's just, you know, my opinion. And I think that um, it's something just common to- sense. Yes, because I really want to, you know, Kim Bilotto would not really want to be reliant on China for anything. (laughs) (laughs) I like having it made in the United States and we have it here. Well, David, that is all the time we have for this week's show. Look forward to having you back next week when we're going to be getting into more oil and gas topics, getting everybody up to date on what's happening on a global scale and also interviewing a new guest. Until next week, you're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.